Well, golly gee, Jim Bob, look at the time. Another week is virtually done and dusted. Just a few short hours, one more sleep, and a bunch of well-intentioned DIY halfwits is going to open their sheds and unlock their Hiluxes and get cracking on this and that across the nation. It'll be, as usual, symphony in power tool flat. And that means, hilariously enough, at least one of them. You just know it. They're going to burn the shop to the ground. So let's talk about that. So you can either get really, really good at doing that, or perhaps an even better idea, avoid it altogether. I'm Jacob Logan from AutoExpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap. Australia only. Website. Card. Now, I have talked a lot about fires recently on this channel. EVs catching fire, normal cars catching fire, things of this nature. The danger of lithium-ion batteries when they catch fire, because trust me, you don't want to be anywhere near that. And we see increasingly news reports about that kind of thing happening. E-scooters and e-bikes catching fire in apartments and various batteries just Roman candling the crap out of an otherwise perfectly serviceable evening in somebody's life. Would it not be impossibly excellent if we could just grab Harry Potter's wand and engineer out the human capacity for stupidity? This report is sponsored by NordVPN. Now, I'm not a hardcore IT guy, but I've heard enough, especially recently, about data breaches, scams and hacks to know that being online can be inherently risky and costly. You don't have to be tech savvy to use NordVPN. It's a simple one-stop cybersecurity solution. One click and you are protected from hackers, malware and pop-ups across as many as six devices. NordVPN is the world's fastest VPN. I don't even notice it running in the background, frankly. And it only costs about as much as a cup of coffee to keep your data, your identity and your devices secure every month. NordVPN can also save you money because you can assign your virtual location to another country where, for example, flights and accommodation might be cheaper than they are back at home. The same goes for streaming services, and you can access live sporting events and other content that may not be available where you actually live. It's a pretty small price to pay for cyber security, not to mention the potential savings also on the table. Go to nordvpn.com AEJC to get a huge discount off your plan plus four months free. Totally risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com AEJC. Link in the description. And thanks to Nord for sponsoring this episode. Engineering out the inner idiot is a challenge for all of us and may be possible from time to time for each of us, but... On a population-wide level, never going to happen, right? So let's talk about that, how you can potentially 
engineer out your inner idiot on the issue of burning the joint down this weekend with batteries, of which I am knee-deep right at the moment. This is off the back of a whole bunch of questions I've had recently about this, like this one from a dude just like you, only two fundamental differences, perhaps he's named Stephen and (sighs) endures the living hell of no spell checker. So there's that. How much of a risk of power tool batteries? Power tool, clearly, one word. Who knew? I didn't get the memo. Obviously, they would release a fair bit less energy than EV batteries would. Yeah, they would, a fair bit less, seeing as this is a five, uh, four amp hour power tool battery for a Ryobi whatever, and that means the battery in a mundane EV is like a thousand times more energy. So yeah, fair bit less energy, correct. My guess is that these could potentially start a pretty serious fire. Potent uh, illy. It's very hard reading as written, I tell you what. Burning the whole house down. I also wonder what the probability of a power tool battery catching fire is. Very low if you manage to be not a dickhead. They are likely to be somewhat less protected than batteries inside an EV. Yeah, well, they're not in a metal box continuously, so there's that as well as being more numerous and charged at more separate charges. If the probability of catching fire is sufficiently larger than the probability of EVs catching fire, they might actually be more dangerous. Do you know of any data or evidence if this concern is well-founded? Well, Stephen, let us break that down, because... In my estimation, one of the real challenges of being a modern human being is living one's life virtually continuously exposed in close proximity to systems with what I'd broadly categorise as a shit tonne of energy. A couple of obvious examples. Petrol. It's all around. Even if you've divorced yourself from petrol and you're sitting there and you're holier-than-thou planet-saving zealotry. When you go out in traffic, you are surrounded by cars and they all have a box in between the wheels and that box is 50 to 70 litres of Molotov would-be cocktail. So there's that to consider. And yet, hardly anyone dies in a vehicle fire today. And there are lots of vehicle fires, but mostly they stem from crashes and then they stem from dodgy modifications and occasionally there are intrinsic defects with vehicles that don't get picked up. So there's that. But the risk of fire and the risk of dying of some petrol-related incident is really low, provided you remember if you're going to go out this Saturday and cut a tree down with a chainsaw and you need to refuel it, don't smoke when you're doing that, right? This is the nature of emergency departments generally, right? They're full of the idiot who can't not smoke when he's refilling his mower or his chainsaw or his brush cutter. You know what I mean? Like engineering out the dickhead is a spectacular challenge if your objective is to do it with 100% efficiency. Like it just, it will never happen. Another great example of operating continuously in close proximity to a lot of energy, is standing at the side of a busy road. And we all do this from time to time, and we probably all don't treat the risk with the respect that it deserves, and yet hardly anybody statistically gets cleaned up in this way. 
driving in Australia more than 200 billion kilometres, which is like 30 return trips to Pluto, and yet there are only about a 1,000 deaths every year, which to me is a freaking miracle. Everyone writes the horror headline about road toll on the rise, but the real miracle is how few people actually end up dead as a result of all of that driving that just transpires in the background of our society. So all these people cross the road all the time, not thinking about the danger, sending SMSs and tweets and things of that nature. There should be a website devoted to the vacuous nature of the tweet that got person X, person Y, person Z killed. It might be a wake-up call for some, who knows. It might just be the world's most depressing website when you read it. But anyway, we all operate all the time in close proximity to energy. There's enough energy in every PowerPoint to kill you several times. There's enough energy when you jack your car up and get under it to kill you if you don't do it properly and you know show me the place where there's not enough energy to kill you in modern life it's it's rare to find such a thing and there has been an absolute proliferation of lithium ion batteries in our lives they're everywhere it's definitely important to look at the timeline of deployment of lithium ion batteries because there were none before 1990 and out there in society at least there were none there were some in research labs but in the past 30 years, we've seen this proliferation of lithium-ion as the preferred battery type for everything. Bluetooth speakers, torches, cameras. Where would cameras be without lithium-ion batteries? Answer, nowhere. They wouldn't have anything like the compactness and the power that they do today. The ubiquitous power tool that we're going to get into in just a second. Batteries for that are everywhere, right? And they are available in all kinds of qualities. We've got no-name batteries and branded batteries and all kinds of things like this. And the whole thing kicked off in the 1970s when there was the first scientific prototype. But that was never commercialised. It was largely viewed as being too difficult. The first prototype actually didn't come out of the blocks until 1985, and it wasn't commercialised for the first time until 1991. And I think Sony did that. Anyway... Fast forward to 2016, we had 28 gigawatt hours, which is 28,000 megawatt hours, which is 28 million kilowatt hours of lithium ion battery production. So don't worry too hard about the units. The watt hour is a fundamental unit of energy. The gigawatt hour is a billion of those, okay? And it's just a unit of energy, like the kilogram or the pound or something is a unit of mass, okay? It's, it's nothing more complex than that from this point of view. But back in 2016, which is certainly living memory, 28 gigawatt hours, of which 16 gigawatt hours was made in China. This is production capacity of batteries. Globally, 28, of which 16 is in China. If you fast forward to 2020, it was 767 gigawatt hours. So that's five years in data points, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. We've gone from 28 to call it 800. And it's still 75% produced in China. And the interesting thing to me is when you look at a Ryobi battery, you think, oh yeah, Japanese company, batteries made in China. When you think about Milwaukee, 
You think high quality American power tool, battery made in China. You'd be hard pressed to find the battery that's not made in China, frankly, because 75% of batteries are made in China, lithium ion batteries. And there's no real indication that there's any softening of demand for lithium ion batteries, quite the opposite. The challenge around the world is to find enough raw materials to meet the demand. So if you want to know what 767 gigawatt hours is in some sort of relatable way, it's about the same amount of electricity that we generate in Australia in one day. So there's that. Now, the founders of this technology, incidentally, were uh, awarded the Nobel Prize in Chemistry in 2019, and that was off the back of their 2012 IEEE Medal for Environmental and Safety Technologies. So lithium-ion batteries and the development of that were kind of a big deal because it led directly to the proliferation of all kinds of mobile devices, most of which we take completely for granted today. And yet there's not a million fires every day and there are typically dozens of batteries using this chemistry every day, being charged overnight, every night, and yet here we all are relatively intact. So there's that. I did go to Fire and Rescue New South Wales and I sought their advice, which they've got online, about how to do this safely. So let's just think about the recharging process because you're pumping all of this energy into a battery. So when you get your Ryobi power tool from Bunnings, you run the battery flat, you connect your charger and you plug it in. Then this charger is inputting into the battery about 30 watts of power, which is a pretty low amount of energy when you think about it. Power, when you think about it. It's not going to be particularly dangerous unless you do something stupid. And by something stupid, I'd suggest that if you connect this battery to something that flattens the battery quickly with a continuous sort of high power output like a leaf blower, and you just blow the driveway, you've got a big driveway, whatever, the battery comes back flat, it's likely to be warm. And then you connect it to the charger. And that's likely to pump heat into the battery. And I'm pretty sure there's a protection circuit for that built in, but let's say it fails. And let's say you're so stupid that you do this in a place with direct sunlight in the middle of summer, in the middle of the day, then that suddenly got tremendously risky because what's happening here, one of the reasons why the charging process for a battery like this is slow is because the battery is sealed, like it doesn't allow airflow. And that's because you don't want environmental contaminants like metal dust and water and sawdust and things of that nature getting into the battery. So the obvious solution is you seal it. And then what's going to happen is for the battery cells themselves to dissipate the heat, they've got to conduct the heat to the outside of the battery, to the skin of the battery, if you like, and then it's got to convect into the air inside this chamber. And then the air has to transfer the heat through the case. It's got to conduct itself through the case to the outside where it can convect itself away. And if you're also at the same time shining bright sunlight at 1,000 watts per square metre onto the battery case, then that's bad because you've got energy going in internally with the charger 
and you've got energy going in from sunlight being incident and transferred into heat energy in the battery, and that's a recipe for overheating the battery, which you absolutely don't want to do. When I read about power tool battery fires, which I've just done quite a bit to have a look at giving Stephen a decent answer, the place that you're more likely to hear about them is in work cover after action analyses of industry type power tool battery fires, mining industry, things of that nature, right? Because work cover is very zealous about that kind of thing. Whereas your home-based dickhead, his garage can burn down and there won't be a great deal of forensic analysis about what caused it, particularly if the whole joint is just cinders, you know, like there's lots of flammable stuff in a garage and who has time. But what generally happens with industry is that the battery's been damaged or it gets dropped out of some basket. Dudes are working at a height and they drop the battery and then some ute runs over it and all of a sudden there's a fire inside the mine where all of this work was taking place. That's a real-life example of one of the reports that I read. There's another example of someone's ute nearly getting burned down on a work site because the batteries were stored inside the cab. It was like 31 degrees that day, bright sun, blah, blah, blah. The batteries were under glass, incident sunlight, they got really, really hot and one of them just Roman candled the crap out of the inside of the car. They managed to save the car, but I doubt it was ever the same again. So as long as you remember that batteries are fragile and if you damage one, if you give it a big drop off a ladder and you crack the case or you do anything of that nature, maybe it's a good idea to bin it. And don't just throw it in the normal bin because lithium hexafluorophosphate and chemicals of this nature, they're really bad in landfill. So take it to a specialist e-waste disposal site. They'll probably take it for free and get rid of it responsibly, right? And then just go and drop a couple of hundred bucks on a new battery because that's going to be a lot less of a headache ultimately than burning the joint down while you sleep. Another good safety tip is if you are using one of those blowers and the battery gets warm, just put it in the shade for a bit and let it cool down before you recharge it. That's not too hard. And then after the charger stops flashing and all the lights are green and the battery's good to go again, then take it out of the charger, dude, because that takes away the risk of something failing inside the battery or the charger and the battery overcharging. As soon as it's recharged, unplug it from the charger. This is pretty easy to do. I'd also suggest that on the domestic front, there are lithium-ion batteries in phones and tablets and laptops and things of that nature. And lots of people tend to get into bed and update whatever, you know, themselves you via their phone or their tablet or their laptop. And do not connect the charger with the device on or in the bed because these devices all rely on convection to get rid of the heat that they need to dissipate that is a product of charging the bloody thing up. And if you fall asleep and you nudge the doona off and you're half asleep when you do it and you throw a doona over a laptop that's on the charger, the heat's got nowhere to go. So it's gonna get nice and toasty in there. And while heat energy itself is not dangerous, it leads to a rise in temperature. And if the temperature gets over the auto ignition temperature of whatever is around it, Houston, we've had a main bus be undervolt, right? That's bad, dude. So I'd be very wary about charging personal devices 
on or near the bed. That's really dangerous. And if you're working in a sort of chaotic cave, which mine is from time to time, you'd want to be careful about starting to charge a battery and then pulling the drop sheet off something and just throwing it over there. Because if the drop sheet goes on top of whatever's being charged, it'll be like the Duna incident we just talked about. Okay, so there's that. Fire and Rescue New South Wales also say, actually, their number one point is to buy batteries from reputable manufacturers. And this is a real can of worms, right? I guess this is the point where it's probably germane for me to whip out my schlong and wave it around a bit so we can talk about this. Now, that's because I went looking a few weeks ago, months ago, for the cheapest battery ratchet wrench I could find, okay? So I found this one, and I found the schlong, and I couldn't resist. Anything brave enough to call itself the schlong, I thought, yeah, gotta have one. And they are, I'd have to say, remarkably similar. So here's my schlong. <laughs> I'm quite proud of it. Now, these are two of the cheapest, nastiest power tools I think I've ever seen. This one, which came completely unbranded in a brown paper box, it was almost like a different kind of battery-powered implement. This is particularly dodgy. I give this the award for dodginess, right? Because it says 42 volts here on the side, but when you put a multimeter across the terminals, it's only 24. So I think that's a bit of an... English second language kind of conversion. There's nothing whatsoever on the battery pack about compliance either, nothing. So when I read Fire and Rescue's determination about number one, they say, only purchase and use devices and equipment from reputable manufacturers and suppliers. So I look at that and this fairly nasty, cheap, lightweight charger that it came with inside the plain brown paper wrapping. And I'm just wondering what sort of a fire hazard this has, because there is no compliance statement at all on the battery or the charger, and it just feels nasty, you know, like it, it really feels nasty. The schlong, not so much. I, I kind of like the schlong, it's nicer to hold, and it just, it feels better, but there's no compliance, whatever, on the battery for the schlong either, so... I might have to mothball my schlong, which is a terribly confronting proposition for a man of my age, let me tell you. I was so used to having it, for example. So what did I come up with instead? Well, I came up with a toolkit of these, one of which, he said, rooting around in yet another bag, one of which is a similar kind of ratchet wrench. This one is Tool Pro, so almost as good a name, but comes from Super Cheap Auto. And critically enough, it's actually got some compliance fluff on the battery. And one of these symbols is super important because it's the Australian standards compliance tick for electrical devices. And yeah, it was slightly more expensive, but I still got a lot of bang for my buck. I got a bunch of, I got a slightly bigger battery and the torch and I got a drill and a driver and a ratchet wrench and two chargers and 
three of these little batteries. So more than enough to just put in a toolbox and keep it in your ute and it'll go around and do mundane jobs and you won't have to think too hard about it and the battery's got a compliance tick. And to me, that's absolutely worth the higher price because as for the schlong and the even more cheap and nasty instrument of pleasure just here, although they seem to work just fine, they function just fine, I did start to get a little bit worried about, well, exactly what quality of manufacturing are we talking about here? Because it seems to me that China can make anything from really good tooling to really crap tooling, and I guess they do whatever the customer wants. And if you mine down here, then there's a quality penalty that you pay. We'll go on and just say, the other advice from Fire and Rescue New South Wales is only use charges that are supplied with the equipment or device or designed to work with it. So, you know, if you buy an off-market battery like this, you can put it, uh, you probably charge it in the standard charger because the batteries are designed to do exactly the same thing. But I wouldn't be, you know, I, I wouldn't be charging them up some dodgy way because you always wanted to be an electrical engineer but decided not to go to uni kind of thing. Fuck that. Uh, check that the charges bear the regulatory compliance mark is the next one that Fire and Rescue says. This is the tick. This is the tick inside the triangle, inside the truncated sort of circle, okay? I'll put it up on the screen if I can find the suitable logo. And you really do have to go on the hunt for this. And when you do, it's kind of really interesting. Because when I look, for example, at GoPro Hero 9, and I pull out the battery on it, no tick. And I don't know if it predates the existence of the tick even, but there's no tick on that battery. But when I look at the latest Hero 11, the battery has the tick. I mean, it's microscopic, but it's there. And that's the Australian New Zealand Standard Certification tick. And I guess there are ramifications for companies if they fake it. Like, I don't know if it can be fudged, but if you fake it, and the battery doesn't comply. I think that's pretty bad for you, right? And when I look at the genuine Sony battery for a camera like an FX6 or an FX9, then it's got the tick. But when I look for the knockoff battery here, which is more capacity, obviously, no tick. And that might go some way to explain why there's such a difference in price between knockoff batteries and the genuine thing. It certainly doesn't, however, explain to me why this genuine Milwaukee battery and this cheap, nasty knockoff don't bear the Australian standard tick, even though the Australian one says, you know, it's got a New Zealand-Australian kind of address and all those claims, but it doesn't have any kind of regulatory compliance uh, marking at all. Like, there's a recycling symbol on it, for God's sake, but no regulatory compliance sticker to ease one's mind. That can't be said of Ryobi. The tick is on both the big yard-type battery and the little power tool-type battery, so there's that. The tick is on Canon's genuine battery for consumer cameras and also, I don't have one here, but for their cinema-type batteries as well. So what I'm saying is, look for the tick. If you want the gold standard, look for the tick, right? There's a couple of other standard compliance-type markings on batteries that you might see even if the tick is not pleasant, uh, present. The first one is a CE, right? Now CE is like European certification, but the manufacturer self-certifies. It's them saying 
yeah, we comply with safety and environmental regulations. So it's their statement that they've done the minimum required at least to meet the standards for Europe. And if you see the FCC logo, that's kind of the same thing for America. And if you see uh, UKCA, that's kind of the same thing as CE for Europe, only they had to change the logo because the UK left the European Union. And I think that UK CA logo only came in and was only available to be used from 2021. So you might see CE and UKCA on the same batteries, but they're kind of self-certification, where I get the impression that the Australian-New Zealand standard triangle circle tick thing that is more of a more of a independent standards compliance thing. Anyway, it's certainly more relevant to our market, I guess you'd say. If you might see another one there that says uh, ROHS as well, and that's really got nothing to do with safety from the point of view of flammability and other kinds of electrical hazard, and it's really about the reduction of hazardous substances. Uh, the fire and rescue dudes also say avoid leaving the batteries or devices unattended while being charged or charging overnight. Once the indicator shows that a device or battery has been fully charged, disconnect it from the charger, which is nice in theory, but you wrap up at, I don't know, six o'clock in the evening after a hard day of, you know, doing whatever for your masturbation chariot to take to Dingo Piss Creek and the batteries are flat, you put them on the chargers, you go up and have a few beers and forget about it. Most of us have done that from time to time. So it's nice in theory, and I think it'd be unreasonable to expect 100% compliance with that guideline all the time. Although, if you remember, certainly if you're walking in and out of your shed and you see the green lights on the charger with the battery still in it, just take the battery out, dude. Makes sense. Don't charge batteries or devices on combustible and insulating surfaces such as beds, sofas, or carpet. And I'd also suggest that... It might be a great idea to keep flammable materials away generally from the site at which you do the charging in the shed, right? And that includes things like the LWD because the propellant in most of these pressure pack cans is propane and I wouldn't want a battery going up next to a vessel full of propane and flammable hydrocarbons. Also a good idea to uh, physically separate this kind of stuff from your fabrication area because if you're knocking up a big number of sparks or you're grinding and throwing sparks wherever, you don't want the sparks going anywhere in close proximity to paints and pressure pack cans, lubricants, things of that nature. So just do your grinding and your fabrication in one corner and have the combustibles as far as you can from a physical separation point of view. Never use char and charge devices such as phones, tablets and e-cigarettes or vaping devices in bed where they can overheat if you fall asleep. Larger batteries and equipment such as power tools and electric scooters should be charged in the garage, the shed or carport away from living spaces. That's pretty good advice as well. And obviously, if you really wanted to do this like the Marine Corps or something, then you'd have a charging station in the shed and the shed would be several metres from the house. And then that way, if something bad happens to a battery and it consumes everything inside the shed, at least it doesn't consume your home. For the rest of us though, I mean, I'm charging all of my batteries 
they're bolted, the charging station is bolted to the side of a shelving unit just over here, and that stops me putting a whole bunch of other shit on top of the charging process. I can't physically just throw a jacket over here and it lands on top of the charger. Next thing you know, the house is on fire. That can't happen. And I put the batteries on a dedicated shelf and that means I don't put anything else on top of them. So that's probably a good idea as well. And then uh, Fire and Rescue New South Wales recommends smoke alarms, don't store batteries and devices in areas where they can be exposed to heat or moisture. That makes sense. Uh, don't leave devices such as phones, computers or charging devices in direct sunlight or parked in vehicles where they can quickly heat up. That's something I think most of us have probably done unwittingly. And you've got to remember that you might leave your phone on the centre console of your car connected to the USB and you might just duck in to do a thing. But that thing might change because of whatever kooky conflagration of circumstances happens in there. And you might be there for an hour, which means your phone is sitting on the centre console of a locked car and the sun is beating down on it straight through the windscreen. That's bad. So it's better to have processes ingrained in the way you do business where you get out of your car, your phone goes in your bag or in your pocket and your laptop comes with you, whatever. And then that way you can't be sidelined by unforeseen things such as that. And finally, they say, this is like idiot-proofing humanity. Don't use batteries or devices that show signs of swelling or bulging, leaking, overheating, or signs of mechanical damage. So other, in other words, if you drop an expensive battery off a ladder and it puts a dirty big dent in it, cracks the case, whatever, then call yourself an idiot and drop the cash on a replacement as opposed to just reaching for the gaffer tape and going, oh, she'll be right. Because might not be right and you might not know that it's not right until two o'clock in the morning when you wake up with an oxygen mask over your face and a paramedic sort of saying hey mate can you hear me now you know you don't want that none of us do so I guess this has been a public service announcement on the cusp of yet another weekend where some moron is going to hurt himself or burn the joint down. Hopefully, as a result of this, although you can't measure tragedies that don't happen, there's no recording system for them, hopefully we might just reduce that ever so slightly this weekend.